Welcome to Washington. I'm David Drucker, and thanks for joining us for another edition of the Dispatch Podcast. On this episode, Republican presidential contender Nikki Haley. We sat down with Haley Friday afternoon after she rallied with Republican voters in Washington as voting got underway in the D.C. GOP primary. That's right. Washington, D.C. has a Republican Party. This was part of her cross-country campaign blitz ahead of Super Tuesday. Now, with so many questions we could have asked Haley, and believe me, we considered most of them and we did so as a team, we decided to focus on the state of an evolving Republican Party as it relates to Haley's uphill battle for the nomination against frontrunner Donald Trump. We recognize that that means there are probably a bunch of questions you, our Dispatch subscribers, and other listeners believe we should have asked. And we take that to heart. We get it. However, with a limited amount of time, we wanted to focus on something important, or at least that we believe is important, and that we believe hasn't received enough attention. Nonetheless, complaints, comments, we'll see you in the comments section, and I'll do my best to respond to as many people as I can. And now, Nikki Haley. Former South Carolina governor, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, former Trump cabinet official, Nikki Haley. Thanks so much for joining us on the Dispatch Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, listen, um, I know that you're jetting around the country, so I'm going to try and be efficient with my time, which is why you're periodically going to see me reading questions. So I want this to be conversational. Feel free to hit me over the head or tell me I'm all wrong and we don't know what we're talking about, uh, but I at least wanted to try and know what I was doing. So forgive the cheat sheet here. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that you, I think, want to talk about, and that is the sort of state of the Republican Party. And as it relates to your candidacy for president, you're running for the Republican nomination for president. Um, and earlier today, during a discussion with reporters here in Washington, uh, where we're recording this, uh, you said that voters supporting you want a candidate who promotes fiscal discipline, American global leadership, uh, who delivers solutions versus just preening for the television cameras. I think you used the word peacocking, but preening works. I like that one, too. And then you said this, quote, we used to be about fiscal discipline, meaning Republicans. Quote, we used to be about fiscal discipline. We used to be about smaller government. And we used to be about making sure that taxpayers had more of their money than a bloated government, end quote. Now, like you said, in South Carolina, the voters, and I was there in Charleston on Saturday night, the, voter, the voters supporting you are not some tiny group, and I agree with you. But neither, I want to ask you, neither are the, is the larger outright majority of voters that has been supporting Donald Trump in all these primaries. So when did you begin to notice that the party was changing? And secondarily, where does that leave you? I think that the conversation of the Republican Party has been changing for a while, but it's starting to get more and more stark. And I think the, you know, the focus is when I look at this primary, and that's what primaries are, is you decide which direction you want your, you know, your party to go in, which direction you want your country to go in. And I look at the fact that, you know, under Donald Trump, he grew government. He put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years, more than any other president. He didn't drain the swamp. He didn't clean the agencies. He didn't give more control to the states. He just grew it. I want to focus on 
fiscal discipline, stopping the wasteful spending, spending, paying down our debt, shrinking the size of government, taking as many federal programs as we can and sending them down to the states so that the people in the states decide those resources rather than D.C. bureaucrats, things like education and healthcare and welfare and mental health, those types of things. And I want to make sure that people start to feel government working for them instead of them feeling like they work for government. And I see that all this bloated government happened under Trump. The Republicans are continuing that process. It started with the $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus, and it's just continued. Well, it was even that was part of it, but it's continued to roll. And now you see they opened up earmarks for the first time in 10 years. And it's a, no one's talking about fiscal discipline. Trump's not talking about it. Republicans are no longer talking about it. It's just not an issue. The second thing is you look at, you know, Trump doesn't believe in peace through strength. He believes in retreating back and focusing just on America. Well, I do believe in America first. I think you can't take care of anybody else if you don't take care of America. But I don't think America should ever be so arrogant to think we don't need friends. What has kept us strong for so long is our alliances. So when Trump went and said that he would encourage Putin to invade our allies, that goes against everything that I believe in. Because my focus is, I think a president should always prevent war. You should always build your alliances so that your enemies don't even think to come near you. And that's just not happening. And then you look at the idea of what the Republican Party was supposed to be through its infrastructure. The RNC was always designed to help races up and down the ticket. And now they're saying the RNC is just going to be about Donald Trump. And that changes everything. And so it really is a difference of, I want a new way forward for the Republican Party. This is continuing to be a way backward where it's just about Donald Trump. So everything that you are saying, and look, uh, you and I are roughly the same age. I came, of, I came of age as a political observer in the 1980s because I was just that kind of nerd who paid attention to this stuff. The new way forward you want was the way forward for 40 years. And it strikes me, based on your description, which I don't necessarily argue with, that the, the Republican Party is no longer a center-right party. It's a populist party. And so, look, obviously you've put yourself in the arena, you're running for president, but, like, what do Republicans like you do about the direction of the party, given where the majority of the votes are going, and the fact that they're going to a man now on his third consecutive uh, presidential run, the third time he's been the favorite for the nomination? What do you guys do? Well, I think it's why he won't win. I mean, you look at the situation that, you know, if we've gotten 30 to 40 percent in all the early states, he doesn't get 40 percent. In Michigan, he's campaigned for eight years. I campaigned for two days and I got 30 percent of the vote. And when people come to our events, they're intense, they're passionate, and they say they want to vote for someone. And that's why they're coming out for us. They want to vote for an America where the dream is still possible. They want to vote for a country where we get things done instead of hating each other. They want to vote for something. So, yes, those principles are still the base principles of the Republican Party. You think? But, well, I'm saying what I want. Yes, that's the basis. But it's a newer way of looking at it. We want to modernize. We want to continue those basic principles, but modernize them so that we continue to grow the tent and do that. That's what you've got the 30 and 40 percent saying. And then when you have Donald Trump saying, 
if you support her, you're barred permanently from MAGA. You can't win a presidential election if you are going to push people out of the club. On that point, um, I've spoken to dozens, well, maybe hundreds at this point, but at least dozens and dozens of, of voters who are supporting you or were thinking of supporting you and are attracted to you and your message in multiple states. And one of the things I've started to pick up on, and this is particularly true in South Carolina last week, is that they don't feel welcome in today's Republican Party. Uh, and by the way, this goes beyond who they're going to vote for if their choice is only what, you know, 70 percent of the country says they don't want. These are not people that told me they're becoming Democrats or voting for Joe Biden. They, they can't do that. And it's some of them might reluctantly vote for Trump if they feel like that would be their only choice. But they're telling me they don't feel welcome. And so I wanted to ask you, what are they supposed to do? I mean, you know, I had a woman come up to me at an event not too long ago, and she said, I've voted Republican all my life. And she said, and my friends are now saying I'm a Democrat because I don't want to vote for Trump. And that's basically what is happening. I mean, it's happening on the left, too. You've got a lot of people leaving the Democrat Party because it's getting so extreme. But you've got people who are going to leave the Republican Party because they don't want it to be about one person. You're in the middle of a multi-state swing. This race isn't over. But if you're not the nominee, what do you tell your supporters to do? Not Look, they're going to make up their own minds. They're individuals. But what do you tell these people to do when they don't feel welcome in the party they've been participating in for all these years? Don't expect them to automatically vote with the party just because. If they feel unwanted, if they feel unheard, if they feel like the Republican Party's not even trying to get them, they will not, they either won't vote, which I hope they do, we should always vote, or they will find some other person to vote for. And so I think that, look, this is the reason I fight, the reason I'm so passionate about this, is it's more than just the Republican Party. It is about the country. I do believe that the Republican values are the right ones. I do think that our focus should be lifting up everybody, not just a certain few. I do think it should be about government being closest to the people and us protecting America and preventing war and all of those things. But I also think the tone at the top matters. You know, we had in South Carolina, we had multiple crises. We had a couple of hurricanes. We had a thousand-year flood where the state was underwater. We had the shooting of Walter Scott killed by a dirty cop. We had um, a school shooting. We had Mother Emanuel where we lost nine amazing souls. At any one of those, we could have fallen to our knees. When that happened at Mother Emanuel, and I called for the Confederate flag to come down, that was on the heels of Ferguson. We would turn on the news and every city was on fire. Why didn't we burn? We didn't have riots. We had vigils. We didn't have protests. We had prayer. The tone at the top matters. And right now, whether it's Joe Biden calling his opponents fascists or Donald Trump calling his opponents vermin, nobody wants that. Like when we think of our kids, that's not the America we want our kids to grow up. But in the context of a Republican primary, is your style of Republican? Your voters' style of Republican that I would say is a Reagan style of Republican. Is that even viable anymore in a Republican primary? We're going to find out. And just as on a side note here, has there been any outreach from the Trump campaign to your campaign 
in any way, shape, or form, about coming together eventually, no matter who wins, about how you look ahead to 2024, any outreach? No, I mean, I think what's interesting is, you know, after the last election, he said, you know, it's clear our party's unified. Well, just because Donald Trump says something doesn't make it true. Actually, a lot of times it's not true. And you can't ignore that you don't have 30 to 40 percent of the vote. You can't ignore that in the Marquette poll last week, you know, your margin of error and it shows I defeat Joe Biden by 18 points. You can't sit there and ignore the fact that we have lost multiple races in multiple states ever since Donald Trump became president. We just continue to lose 2018, 2020, 2022. Even a couple of weeks ago when we lost the vote on Israel, we lost the vote on on Mayorkas. The RNC chair lost her job. He had his fingerprints on all of that. We can't keep losing. But but Donald Trump, in a way, has has Republicans and Republicans, I say like you, meaning your faction of Republicans, kind of over a barrel, right? Because every time uh, there's a discussion about, you know, maybe he won't be the nominee or maybe the party will go a different direction. He threatens to run as an independent. He threatens to leave the party. We always see the reports. He famously has never signed any of these RNC pledges to support the nominee, no matter who they are. You've signed them, your 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 fellow candidates that are now out of the race signed them. Right. So, I mean, does there come a point when you have to say to the to Trump and his faction of supporters, well, you can't count on us either? I mean, don't think we're going to go away and be quiet. Don't think we're suddenly going to sing, you know, kumbaya and, and this is going to go away. You have a massive amount of people who are saying we don't like that Republicans no longer care about how much they're spending. We don't like that Republicans don't want allies. We don't like that Republicans are okay with deciding if you do like Donald Trump, you're a Republican. And if you don't want to be with Donald Trump, you're a Democrat. We don't like that. And it is my job and my duty to make sure that we fight for these people and that they have a voice and that they know there's a place. They're not wrong. You can't tell a group of Americans that they're wrong. I don't tell Trump supporters they're wrong, but don't tell this group that they're wrong. And guess what? At the end of the day, you can't win without everybody. And we'll take a quick break to hear from Tax Network USA. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. They are not your friends. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best possible deal. Whether you owe 10 thousand dollars or 10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you are on a fixed income, they can help financially resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash dispatch. Is there a line that shouldn't be crossed? Look, in every primary, especially when it's competitive, uh, when somebody fights as hard as you're fighting, and of course Donald Trump is famously a fighter, there are always hard feelings, it's bitter, and then people kind of come together because they say to themselves, all right, you're basically a good person, and you basically believe what I believe. That's harder with Trump, particularly from the perspective of voters supporting you. I mean, it, but but it's always asked about, you know, the question is always posed that, you know, well, you don't want to make their voters angry. You know, they've been they've been left behind, they've been forgotten. 
And that's why they're supporting Trump. So you just kind of have to go along. But what about your voters? Is there a line at which they shouldn't be asked to cross? I mean, is there a certain behavior on the part of the former president, on the part of people supporting him, that people should start to say, you can't expect the voters who have been supporting Nikki Haley in state after state, you can't expect them to cross certain lines either? I mean, is the line where he criticizes military members? Is the line where he goes and does name-calling? Is the line where he goes and sides with Putin over our allies? Is the line where he says the reason that blacks like him is because he was arrested? Is the line the fact that, you know, the supporters of an opponent are barred permanently from his club? Is the line the fact that we desperately need to secure the border and he told Republicans not to do anything until he was until the general election because it would hurt him. Is the line the fact that you're paying campaign contributions towards your personal court cases? I don't know what that line is, but I will tell you all of these people that are coming out, they want to vote for someone. That's what they've said to me over and over again, is they're thankful they have someone who has a vision, who is a happy warrior who wants to continue to grow America and make her the best country in the world. That's what they want. Is there a line for you? I mean, to me, it's not personal as much as this is about my kids, too. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. I want my kids to have a better country than what we have right now. I guess what I'm saying is I I would never ask you then don't. if you then don't. I would never ask you if you could vote for President Joe Biden. Because you are at odds on so many key policy issues. But when you have a Republican nominee who's willing to spend like he's the king of debt, which is what he's like to refer to himself as, at least when interest rates were low, we'll see. And that plays footsie with Vladimir Putin. At what, at what point do you say, well, I can't vote for Biden, but on the issues that matter to me the most, the reason why I'm in public life and putting up with all this stuff, we have fundamental disagreements. Are there lines for you? I mean, those are major policy issues I care about. Those are major policy issues I think every American family cares about. They don't want their kids having to pay all this debt. They don't like the fact that Congress can't get anything done. They don't like the fact that it's more about what somebody says on TV than not. So, yes, I mean, I wouldn't be running. If I didn't think there was a problem, I don't want Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Neither do 70 percent of Americans, by the way, don't want Donald Trump or Joe Biden. But they are two 80 year olds that refuse to walk away because it's all about them. And this isn't about them. And, you know, at some point we have got to pass this group along and go towards a new generational leader. It's the only way we're going to right this ship. I have said multiple times we are a ship with the hole in it. Donald Trump is that hole. We can ignore it and we will go down with the ship or we can say there's a chance to save ourselves and go in a new direction. That's what we're trying to offer. There must be some conspiracy against Generation X. That's what I think the real problem is here. <laughs> okay. And you and I are both Generation X. So for all the kids at home that don't understand that joke, which you may or may not find funny, since early January, you have said in your stump speech, I don't know if you said it in South Carolina, but you said it a lot in New Hampshire, that if uh, President Joe Biden or former President Donald Trump uh, get the next four years in office, you would say America won't survive it. What do you mean by that? I'm incredibly worried. I think it's not about Joe Biden. I think, first of all, 
Donald Trump, I don't think he can win a general election. And I don't think Joe Biden will be the nominee. I think we will be looking at a President Kamala Harris and you will see us lean socialist left. If it is Donald Trump, then I think you are looking at a fiscal cliff we will fall off of. I think that you are looking at us tiptoeing towards war because we are leaving our allies and our allies are leaving us. And I think that you are going to continue to have this division and and separation and hatred that is happening in our country that is going to not have Congress get absolutely anything done because we're not going to win races and we're it's going to either be we're going to lose the house and the senate or it's going to be such a small margin we can't get anything done. but when you say the country won't survive you, you mean we'll be diminished but you don't actually think the country falls apart i think it's is about freedom this is about economic freedom which we don't have right now because we are actually having to borrow money to make our interest payments we're spending more in interest than we are in our defense budget i would say that's pretty dire that's a national security threat. I think this is about the fact that we could be on the verge of war. Because if everybody wants to continue to give this narrative of, we can't help Ukraine, Putin's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do, which is Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries, and we're going to have America at war. We can't have that. And you don't think that's hyperbole, that Putin would actually test NATO's resolve to respond to an armed invasion of a NATO country? I saw this every day at the U.N. Dictators, terrorists, and thugs always tell us what they're going to do. We just have to listen. Hamas said they were going to go into Israel. They did. China said they were going to take Hong Kong. It happened during COVID. Russia said they were going to invade Ukraine. We watched it. China says Taiwan is next. We better believe them. Russia said once they take Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Don't doubt what Vladimir Putin is saying. He has said this for a long time. He's made actions toward what he wants to do is weaken our alliance, which is happening, divide it up so that he can start making moves like he did with Crimea. So he can start getting more and more strength in the ways that he's doing that. We're seeing him now start to move into Moldova. Okay. Um, related to our Putin, our mini Putin discussion here, um, I want to make a point of saying I never invite people on the Dispatch podcast to talk about somebody else. So I didn't invite you on the podcast to talk about Donald Trump, but I'm going to ask you one Donald Trump question because you were closely with him on national security mm -hmm. as his as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And it was and it's not always the case in Republican administrations. It was a cabinet post. And you particularly worked with him on Russia policy. I worked with him on everything very closely. Yeah. So what is the deal with his bromance with Putin? That man will jawbone anybody. He'll jawbone strangers in Indiana, who tweet something mean about him that he catches wind of. He will jawbone Xi Jinping, even though he compliments him. He'll still jawbone him. He'll jawbone anybody but Putin. Now, I just have to say, I'm a Cold War kid, right? Like, Republicans were put on Earth to cut taxes and hate Russians. That, that's just kind of the way it is, whether you agree with taxes or not, cutting taxes or not. So do you have any insight into why the Putin bromance. Donald Trump gets weak in the knees when it comes to Putin. He has, and all I can say is, I wrote about this in my book. When he had that press conference with Putin in Helsinki, I immediately made an appointment to go sit down with him. And I said, what was that? 
And he said, what was what? And I said, whatever that was, I said, look like a bromance. It looked like y'all were like together. And he said, and he looked at his chief of staff and said, did it? And I said, tell him it did. And I said, don't buy into what he is selling you. He is lying. That's what Putin does. But Trump admires dictators. He loves their power. He has said that he thinks President Xi, he likes that President Xi, that the people have to listen to him and do what he says. He's always admired what he calls strongmen. I can't explain it. I don't know why. But when I say I am fighting for freedom, I'm fighting for freedom because I don't like those dictators and tyrants who control their people. I want people to have the freedom to live and breathe and say what they want to say and do what they want to do without anybody getting in the way. Donald Trump admires these people, and it's unfortunate, and I think he's wrong, and that's why I called him out. All right, let's get back to the the 2024 race. Thanks for indulging my uh, one Trump question. Um, you're blitzing the country. You're advertising. You're attracting crowds. That Look, by any measure, I, think I, 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 I mentioned this. It occurred to me on Saturday in Charleston that if you just dropped in from Mars and knew nothing and showed up at one of your events and said, do you think she can win? They, Yeah, there's a lot of people here. They're really happy. She looks happy. So clearly things must be going well. Uh, do we think Super Tuesday, we might finally start to see you win some primaries? I, I hope so. I mean, that's the whole focus is we're trying to make this as competitive as we can. I mean, look, we spent a lot of time in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. You know, we were only able to campaign two days in Michigan. You know, we were there in Virginia yes, just yesterday, but we had a, over 2,000 people. Yeah, I want to ask you about this. You know, you would obviously until uh, people started voting in Iowa this year, you'd never lost a race. So you're very familiar with what winning votes looks like. Uh, what do you, we've sort of just talked around this. What do you make of the fact that even though you haven't won a primary yet, and even though polling suggests your odds are long, that you keep getting so much attendance, um, at least by conventional candidate standards, nobody fills an arena like Trump usually. And the fact that I've watched people there, they're happy. Like these are not, you know, I know what it looks like when it's like, well, I came because I didn't want him to feel bad, but ugh. And like, they're happy. And I've talked to voters who have even said to me, and forgive me for this, I don't think she can win, but I hope she keeps running because somebody needs to say what she's saying. So what, what do you, how do you account for events that look like yours, even though your odds are long? I think that people are hopeful. I mean, I can tell you the things they say to me. They'll say, thank you for giving me someone to vote for. Thank you for seeing the direction America should go. Thank you for speaking truth to power. Like, those are all the things. Thank you for being someone my kids can look up to. I mean, all of these things are what they continue to say. And they love being there because we're talking about going forward and not talking about the past. Joe Biden and Donald Trump live in the past. That's all they talk about is what was done to them, what happened to them, what they think they have to fix or vengeance or whatever. They want someone who looks to the future and sees a bright future, not a dark future, not one that is, you know, in shambles, a bright future. And I give them that because it is possible. I think we live in the best country in the world. You know, it's amazing to me that everybody was so quick to say, oh, she should get out after Iowa. She should get out after New Hampshire. She was, should get out after South Carolina. How blessed are we 
that we have elections. Did it ever occur to you? Did you ever say to yourself, what do I want to do? What are my long-term plans? No. No, because we have a country to save. And when you have a country to save, it's more than about yourself. It's about it's about what you're trying to convey, what you're trying to get people to see, to show them a way forward that is possible. Given how big your faction of voters is, again, not a majority, but not a tiny minority, as you've said, are you surprised you don't have any more endorsements from members of Congress except for your friend Ralph Norman? No, because I have never had the political elite in anything I've ever done. At my first race, I ran against the longest-serving legislator in South Carolina in a primary. No one was with me. When I ran for governor, I was a Tea Party candidate against a lieutenant governor, attorney general, very popular congressman, and a state senator. I had, I had the only endorsement then was Ralph Norman and a senator and a House member. That was it out of everybody else. So when I ran this time... I was not looking to go grab endorsements. I don't want their endorsement. Donald Trump surrounded himself by congressional members that have gotten nothing done. He surrounded himself by congressional members who have spent into oblivion. He surrounded himself by congressional members who are okay walking away from our allies. I don't want them. What I do want are real normal people who see the fact that America can do better than what we're doing right now. And look, the elite don't want me because I want term limits. They don't want me because I'm fighting for a mental competency test for anyone over this, over 75. They don't want me because I don't think they should be able to trade in the stock market. They don't want me because I think that the best way to fix VA health care is to have them have to get their health care from the VA. They don't like that I call them out on spending, Republicans and Democrats. And I have always called out anybody who was doing something wrong. I did it as governor. I had no political friends when I was governor, but guess what? I had high approval rating as governor because the people knew I was fighting for them. Another argument you have made, and it's been a key argument of yours, is that Donald Trump cannot win a general election. And look, I can see polls as well as anybody. You do a lot better than him versus Joe Biden in places that it matters nationally, just about anywhere. But he's been leading Joe Biden, Donald Trump has, in the Real Clear Politics average since September. He is doing better than margin of error in some of these swing states like Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, at least those. And he's still winning, although it's margin of error in Pennsylvania and and, um, Wisconsin. That's made it hard for you to make the electability argument, don't you think? I mean, if you're trying to persuade people to support you instead of Donald Trump on the issue of electability, for people that might prefer Trump but worry about his electability, they can now say... He's been beating Biden for months. I mean, look at how poorly Joe Biden is performing. I mean, it's like running against a rock. Like you could like that would make your argument easier, though, if he was performing better. They'd say Joe Biden is not going to be the candidate. I have said from the very beginning, the party that gets rid of their 80 year old candidate is the party that wins. Joe Biden is not going to be the candidate. You can assume it's going to be Kamala Harris. At, it could be Gavin Newsom. I, my bets are on Kamala Harris. He and you not, think she can beat Donald Trump? I think anybody else will beat Donald Trump. Anybody else. And Kamala Harris is not a good candidate. But I am telling you, the only reason that Donald Trump could beat Joe Biden is because Joe Biden, by the special counsel themselves, says that he's mentally deficient and that he is, you know, declining. 
But that's what happens when you're in your 80s. It's going to happen to Trump too soon. It's what it's part of it. I'm saying we need someone who can put in eight years, day and night, taking on the hard issues without the negativity, without the baggage, without the vendettas, and just produce for the American people. Joe Biden and Donald Trump, neither one of them can do that. Okay, and finally, uh, Nikki Haley, before I let you go, and I protect myself against assault from your staff that needs to get you to, no Char- promises, no promises. to, to Charlotte, I believe. You entered this race uh, a year ago and two weeks, so not quite 13 months, uh, but a little bit more than 12 months. What have you, to bring our discussion back to how it began and end it that way, what have you learned about the Republican Party after a year on the trail and hundreds of town halls and events and conversations with voters? What have you learned about the Republican Party that you, that as much as you probably knew going into this, that you did not know and that you're going to take away from this experience, uh, win, lose, or draw? I mean, just, I have so much gratitude. I mean, everybody should go to all of these states and listen to these families and what they care about. And the overwhelming sense is from the younger generation, they're truly worried. They're worried about their future. They're worried about this debt. They're worried that they'll ever be able to afford a home. They're worried about getting a job. From parents like me, they see how chaotic things are. They know their kids haven't felt normal. And they want stability. And they don't feel that. And in terms of like a, you know, the older generation, they look back and say, what went so wrong? Like every group feels it in some way. And every group knows things aren't right. Now is just the chance to say, but how do we fix it? And I think that's what the American people are deciding is which direction do we go? Do we do more of the same or do we try something new? It's pretty cool that 30 to 40 percent of people in these early states want something new. No, it's not 50 percent. I give it to Donald Trump that he won. But don't ignore that 30 to 40 percent. That is not a small number. That's not a number that's going to go away after an election. That's not a number that's going to stop using the power of their voice because they are just now saying no more. They are just now saying we're tired of Republicans and Democrats not listening to us. And they're moving forward. And I think that they're going to continue to do that regardless. And I hope so. Like, this is something that we should get people to do. That's what makes America better. We should never think we have to live this way because this isn't the way that our kids deserve to live. We need a responsible America. And you know what else? Our friends and allies around the world are going, what the hell just happened? What has happened to America? That they no longer want to be our friend, that they are falling off a fiscal cliff, that they are so distracted. Is it surprising to you that they're saying all of these things because of what's going on with the Republican Party? They're not saying it. I mean, look, the Democrats have their issues. But they're not saying this because Democrats are really acting that much different than they've ever acted, right? They're saying it because it, it's the center-right party in the United States I, that has changed its approach to these key issues. No, I think that that has been the alarm bells. That's the hole in the ship that they notice. But don't give the Democrats a pass. Look at how far left they have gone. I mean, I have had a number of people say, I can't be with the Democrat Party anymore. Guess what? That's such an opportunity for Republicans. 
It's such an opportunity to bring people into our fold, to get them to come see the way that we see. And Republicans are throwing that away. It is amazing to me. We're getting people who are looking for a home. Whether that's Republicans who are disenfranchised with what's happened with Trump in Congress, or whether it's Democrats who are saying this leftist slant and this socialism is not what we ever wanted, or whether it's independents going both sides are crazy. Like you've got a massive number of people that are looking for a home. And we owe it to them to help them find that home. I think it's important. And I think they're I think that they know that we have to go in a new direction. That's not a bad thing. So look, I mean, I think a lot of people want to make this about, and I've said this, they want to make this my running about being anti-Trump. This is not anti-Trump. If I was anti-Trump, I'd be Chris Christie. Chris Christie was anti-Trump. This is about being pro-America and seeing that we're getting away from our values that made this country so great in the first place. Nikki Haley, thanks so much for joining the Dispatch Podcast. Thanks for having me. 